Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to episode 66 of Strangers in a Cinema or the episode in which all the Jedi die, Pete. Do you get that joke or? Yeah, so you tried to explain this to me before we started and I didn't get it then and I still don't get it now. Tell no, me, so what the hell does this mean? Well, the, there's an order. The order 66 is given during, I think, Attack of the Clones. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know it's in Attack of the Clones. Is all, is given and all the Jedi get yeah, killed by the clones. Correct you if you're wrong, yeah. as if I'd be able yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. um, so yes, welcome to episode 66 of Strangers in the Cinema, as I've already said. Um, it's just Paul and Pete this evening. I don't know why I've just referred to myself in the third person, but I just have. Just the um, elite. Just the elite. Yeah, the, Jack's, uh, been, boys. Jack's been held up at work, um, and it's just the two of us. So it's it's a bit weird, to be honest, with just the two of us sitting in this room. But... It's back to the old school, Paul. It always used to be just the two of us in this lonely room over here, talking into a microphone, hoping that someone <laughs> would give a shit about the thing that we were doing. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't mean that anything's lost this week. Uh, we've got all the normal sections coming up, starting, Paul... Within the foyer. Before we start within the foyer, can, oh, I just, can I just tell the listeners home? I do have a bit of a cold and a slight tickly cough. So if I start coughing, apologies, but I just thought I'd uh, give you the heads up. Uh, pray continue. <laughs> well, that's got the momentum really uh, <laughs> kicking into a high gear. Yeah, so in the foyer this time, um, we're thinking about the film that we're going to have as one of our two features this week, which is Justice League. Uh, Justice League is obviously a giant DCU uh, release that's going to be of interest to anybody in the sort of popcorny kind of blockbustery superhero realm so we thought what we'd do to kick off this episode is talk about our favorite superhero movies of any kind paul you must have strong opinions on this topic pray tell me what they are uh i think it's it's a close run thing i think there's there's two that spring to mind for me pete uh, just well there's a number of good ones i think but ones that really stay with me would be x-men 2 uh, Brian Singer's second X-Men film which I think is still to this day I think is fantastic I think it just the first one left me a little bit cold um, it, I thought it was it was decent but didn't really have enough ratchet the action up enough but the second one I thought had excellent villain in Brian Cox as General Striker um, Wolverine got a bit more of a chance to shine and the action just went nuts and I really enjoyed X-Men 2 it's still have, one of my favourites do we have an ample amount of sort of God's gift to the universe uh, Jean Grey as depicted by Famke Janssen in X-Men 2 she's in it quite a lot yes. yeah. yeah. well that's enough for yeah. me then yeah I've seen that film but not for a little while <laughs> I rewatched the first one recently and, and yeah maybe as you feel I, I think sections of that are a lot more interesting than others but it was weird to go back all the way to what the year 2000 when that thing it is weird off, and how right? small is Hugh Jackman in that film as well yeah, yeah I mean the guy's, the guy's <laughs> yeah. I think younger than I am now in that film which is a really weird thing to think about. So that that was one of them. What was the other one? The other one is Batman Begins. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Um, the start of that trilogy was something special. Well, it's it's right? just, and I think, and, uh, and well, uh, we were talking about this off air. Is when I was when I was waiting to get married in Mauritius. It hasn't gone away, listeners. I'm sorry. I'm, I've still got a little bit of mileage in it yet. Uh, I managed to catch the back end of Batman and Robin and the first half of Batman Begins. And when you see it like that, you realise what a momentous achievement Batman Begins actually was. To drag the Batman franchise back from just absolute drivel in Batman and Robin, and then to do it so, so well. And I think I think actually, like for, for all of Dark Knight Rises' faults, I quite like that it brings the story back full circle to Batman Begins. Because I think as much as I, I love Dark Knight as well, I, I, in fact, I, well, controversially, I also love Dark Knight Rises, but Batman Begins, I think, gets forgotten because of how big a film Dark Knight was. But mm. I think Batman Begins, just just how they grounded the superhero genre, made him 
genuinely like had no superpowers but just could fight and the way they trained him and the motivation they gave him I thought it was brilliant it's got such a sort of thrust like a sort of directional kinetic thrust to that movie with even like the monorail leading towards uh, Wayne Tower or whatever towards the the climax and the way that like all the action sort of builds to something one of the biggest problems I had I think with The Dark Knight the, the following film was the way that it sort of came well two things one that it split the action amongst too many characters mm. and secondly the fact that they ended on that silly like boat dilemma scene that I just don't think well, that works seemed more well akin to the Riddler than the Joker to be honest that kind of boat yeah. dilemma thing but yeah it, it just it didn't really work for me and I know it did for other people more so but yeah I'm with you Batman Begins and, and the moment when Christian Bale on the top of the building someone says who are you and he says I'm Batman I mean it's just <laughs> fantastic like really ignited a passion and Scarecrow was genuinely terrifying for as that. well and, and sort of interesting Paul that you've brought that up now and I'm thinking about that and feeling so good about Batman when we're going to go on to Justice League and like how far Batman's fallen but that's that's for, <laughs> for later on I suppose um, from my well, side got, Pete? yes because uh, you, you, you are no, not normally the biggest fan of these films no, I think that would no, be fair that, to that's say that's true but. I mean you, yeah, you've mentioned one that I would have uh, mentioned myself which is Batman Begins I would say also recently we reviewed Thor Ragnarok and I really really enjoyed that just because as I said at the time it didn't take itself seriously people criticised it in some circles for maybe being too silly and my response to that is this stuff is all inherently silly and I'm glad that Taika Waititi recognised that and made a film that sort of I, I agree did entirely. that and I think, I think in the fullness of time maybe after another couple of watches I think it will sit quite high up on my list um, mm. what else have you got there? Um, I, I don't know I mean there's there are a number that could compete for this and maybe none of them I feel are perfect by any means but I think I'm going to come out on the side of Wonder Woman and I know this is controversial but (laughs) only for me everyone else loves it well well, I don't know I mean not everybody loves it but you're right like there is sort of a groundswell there was a groundswell of support for that and I think for Gal Gadot in general and we'll come back to her again with Justice League for Patty Jenkins having a female in the, the director's chair there's problems there are problems towards the end of that film as we discussed when we did our review at the yeah. time however I think for the, the the heart that is possessed in a film that exists in a landscape of so many quite sort of dour um, self-serious superhero films especially the DC yeah especially the recent it, DC exactly yeah. yeah exactly the point I was going to make especially in that universe when Marvel are doing so many more sort of fun things with Guardians and, and with Thor Ragnarok and so on yeah I, I really enjoyed Wonder Woman I loved her I loved loved a lot of the the humour in it worked for me Uh, not all but a lot of the humour worked in it for me so yeah I probably it's affected by the closeness the proximity to the release of that film and maybe in five years time I'll reevaluate my opinion but for now I'll go with Wonder Woman in this section cool excellent well that's pretty much it for in the foyer this week um let us know on your on our facebook page if you disagree with our likes or dislikes um logan probably would factor in there but i don't know whether he's strictly a superhero film or not did you it counts it's, it's, yeah logan would counts. certainly be up there for me as well but again i've not seen it as much as, as some of the others the incredibles i wanted to give a shout out to the incredibles i like that well lot. the incredibles 2 trailers just dropped hasn't it so right, right. Um, yeah the incredibles is also very good um right so that's it for in the foyer after this brief break we'll be back with our popcorn movies it is that time again listeners for popcorn movies paul and i fire back reviews of films that we watched in the last seven days we've got two each this week paul do you want to start do you want to go second uh i'll start 
Okay. Why not? What have you got? Good. Um, I've got one of my favourite contemporary horror films this week that I rewatched. Um, this is uh, Drew Goddard's Cabin in the Woods. I thought you were going to go for House of Wax with Paris uh, Hilton. No, though I have again rewatched that far too recently for my liking, <laughs> to be honest. Tell us um, about Cabin in the Woods. It's been a while. I've only seen this once, maybe twice, and liked okay. it quite a bit. I know there was a lot of um, good feeling towards. Uh, yeah, I think Cabin in the Woods, in the Woods is is for me. Um, in kind of comparable to Scream um, as a deconstruction of the horror genre. So to set the scene, um, basically there is a cabin in the woods that looks remarkably like the cabin from Evil Dead, entirely deliberate. Um, a group of teens, um, including a young Chris Hemsworth, who actually looks skinny in this film. He's not, but compar- comparable to Thor. Before he got on the roids. Looks, yeah. <laughs> um, they go and stay in a cabin in the woods. And things start to go wrong. Um, they get attacked by um, this kind of redneck hillbilly family. Um, and they start to die off. But all is not what it seems in Cabin in the Woods. And spoiler warning, um, they are actually events are being controlled by this kind of weird government agency thing down below. Um, uh, and basically they are organising sacrifices to the dark beings to stop the world ending. <laughs> Who's the guy? Ed Harris in this? No, Richard, the... Richard Jenkins. Richard Jenkins. And is Bradley Whitford yeah. from The West Wing right, and right, more right. recently Get Out. Is the film I'm thinking of. Is I was going to say, I thought yeah. it was directed <laughs> straight at me. Um, but no, I think this... I think with the the impact of the first time you watch it gone it doesn't quite have the same effect on on multiple viewings as it does i still think it's a very very clever um well constructed film and like the way it explains the teenage characters stupid actions is is very good so like they'll be injecting pheromones to make them horny so and that that kind of thing and also what they they play the characters against types you've got characters that would initially be a jock actually are like a pre med or like a pre med student or that kind of thing so it's a i think it's a very very clever it's a very sort of knowing film it's a it? very knowing film and it's um co-written by Joss Whedon as well um and bits of it do feel like uh, it could have been in fact the whole the whole kind of shadowy organisation do feel a lot like um, the initiative from season three of Buffy, which I think may well be... It's a deep del- cut. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which may well be a, a deliberate reference on Whedon's part. Right. Um, but yeah, it's still, it, it stands up It stands up very well. It's still a lot of fun. And if you haven't seen it for a while, I would probably recommend giving it another go, to be honest. So Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go back to that one, I think. Um, first one for me this week is... <laughs> drum roll, please. Surprise, surprise. It's a documentary film. No way. Uh, this one <laughs> is called Wiener, uh, not to be mistaken, for Wiener Dog which I reviewed a little while ago um, the Todd Salons thing this one is a documentary from 2016 directed by a pair of filmmakers Josh Kriegman and Elise Steinberg I've looked around I don't think they've done too much before this Um, it tells the story that I didn't know a great deal about of of the uh, uh, the guy is called Anthony Wiener um, who was a disgraced congressman who uh, accidentally tweeted from his own Twitter account a picture of his bulging semi-erect penis through his boxer shorts to his followers when he was trying to DM someone or whatever, send it over a dating app or, or what have you. <laughs> this sort of talk... Wow, so he, he, yeah, good good job. Yeah, good this, job. this kind of... Yeah, he sabotaged his own career in Congress. He'd been there for, I think, seven straight years. I think he was one of the youngest ever congressmen and had this sort of glittering, uh, trailblazing political career, which he taught 
tore to shreds. The film, though, focuses on his attempts to redeem himself in the public eye as he runs for the 2013 mayoral position in New York City. Um, so, obviously... Does something else go wrong? Is this is this the guy that I'm thinking of? <laughs> it Leaky is the way that you would describe his career. There are leaks on leaks on leaks. Just when he th- you think he's stopped leaking, more things leak out. Um, throughout this, he is uh, accompanied... Well, most of the time, he's accompanied by his wife, whom who also works as a close aide to Hillary Clinton and this becomes increasingly important and significant to the the machinations of his political career because Huma at a certain point needs to make almost make a decision between standing by her man which is what she did originally and saving her own political career when it seems as if Hillary Clinton and her staff may be presenting her with a sort of ultimatum either you're attached to the leaked you know sexy pic sexting sexting guy or you stay with the campaign for the presidential election going forward that would be the 2016 presidential election that we've just had right so it's very much tied into the sort of contemporary political landscape. But what you get in this documentary is all of this behind the scenes stuff that you might have only touched on in films like um, The Ides of March, for example, yeah. which I didn't like a great deal. But, you know, where you're, everything is about um, getting donations for the campaign. It's all about uh, canvassing on the phones. It's all about building up the reputation of this guy with various subsets of the community. You know, you see him, Anthony Weiner, marching through the streets, pandering to every minority that he possibly can and seemingly he is quite a sort of charismatic at least superficially likeable guy but throughout there's this weird question that you that needs answering which is like as a journalist I think presents directly to him in a TV uh, interview what's wrong with you because it seems like there's something fundamentally wrong with his relationship with both sex and power and maybe this speaks to a number of the other situations that we've seen whether it's Harvey Weinstein or Donald mm. Trump or whoever else in in you know Kevin Spacey and stuff recently where once an individual has power that has the ability to corrupt and has the access to uh, females or males or people of sexual attraction to them, problems ensue. And yeah. so, yeah, really intriguing, entertaining documentary. It's called Wiener. I'll stop talking about it. It's from 2016. <laughs> it's currently streaming on uh, Netflix. So if you want to check it out, you can do. Paul, what have you got second? Uh, second, I've got um, The Villainess from 2017, which I believe is a South Korean film. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, anyone? It um, is. Yes. Uh, directed by... Are you ready for this, Pete? I'm going to give it a go. Do it. Byung Gil Jung. Mm. Okay. Pretty good, pretty good. Um, this is a... And kind of, I would say, a very heavily influenced by um, Nikita, um, Luke Besson's, I think, 90s film? I want to say early 90s, came out yeah. The 90s, okay. yeah. Uh, very heavily influenced by Nikita. Um, it's a kind of all-out all sort of blazing action film um, that although the plot is slightly baffling in places, has some of the greatest action set pieces I've seen in quite a while. Um, very kind of frenetically shot, as you'd expect from sort of South Korean action cinema, I guess. Um, very, very, very well shot. Um, everything's kind of quite up in your face. I think if if English isn't your... F- uh, well, if South Korea- if Korean isn't your first language, I think you might struggle to follow the plot a bit. As I've said, it, it, it was baffling a bit in places. It may just be me. I was a little bit tired when I watched it. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of it's more spectacle cinema 
than it is anything else. And if you are a fan of action cinema, then then definitely check out The Villainess. And I will keep it that brief, Pete, and hand back to you. Nice. A young director, like 37 years old, uh, old Byung Gil Jun. So, uh, what else has he made? Is there anything else I've made? Yeah, I just had a look. Um, Confessions of Murder, Action Boys, The Villainess that you're talking about, and something called Band Hobie. But I've not heard of those, I've not seen those, but then he's only 37, so maybe the best yeah. is also still to come yeah. with this, this And guy The out. Villainess is, is out now on home release. So Cool, well I'll check that out yeah. for, for sure. Yeah. Um, second for me this week is a film that one of those that I've been intending to to see but never really like the moment never grabbed me I guess it's been streaming for ages from 2012 this one's called Smashed um, from James Ponsolt and I just want to say a couple of words about the director James Ponsolt because um, if we go through this list The Spectacular Now was one of his films Paul very very good I liked I quite it like the Spectacular quite now, a lot yeah. uh, then we've got um, The End of the Tour which is the uh, David Foster Wallace thing with uh, or your boy who can't do romance in any film you know uh, the the one, how I met your mother that like big one. Um, Help me out, Jason Segel. Jason Segel, yeah, that you always call Segel. Yeah. yeah, Jason yeah. Segel playing yeah. David Foster Wallace yeah. to yeah. sort of I think limited yeah. effect. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg's in that one. Quite good, quite interesting. Then the circle. No, 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 no. So uh, mixed bag from right. James Ponsol, I think overall. Smashed, um, I was convinced, starred uh, a completely different actress, but actually this is um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I like quite a lot, and uh, Magnet's Bitch. Who did you think it starred? Uh, Ritter, what's she called? The one in... Um, oh, okay. Yeah, look Elizabeth how well I'm Ritter. doing with, no, with not, names yeah, this someone, week. Yeah, someone Ritter. Um, anyway... It is a film, uh, the other guy was Aaron Paul, sorry, Magnet's Bitch is not his actual name. Uh, <laughs> it's a film that deals with the troubled relationship of a young married couple, they seem to be about 30 years old I guess, um, and they are struggling with addiction specifically to alcohol, they drink all the time, it seems like it's sort of casual and fun, they're always at the bar, they're with their friends, they're having a good time, but at least in the case of the character Kate, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, there's this sort of realisation that what's happening is becoming problematic. She's making decisions in her life which are causing her a lot of uh, trouble. At one point she ends a night by um, taking a stranger home whilst intoxicated in her car and then uh, sampling a little bit of crack okay. for the first time and waking up on a bench. So at that point I suppose the alarm bells start to ring and you think, you know, I've got to watch what I'm doing. Pivotal here is she throws up in front of her class of uh, young kids, she's a teacher of young children, and has to play that off as um, a symptom of her pregnancy uh, and then lie about this and the lie just sort of grows and grows and grows. Um, it is a good film that is sometimes quite difficult to watch, I suppose, in this, if you've ever had that little thought in your head that you might be drinking too much. I know I've had it, I'm sure you've had it at hey, some times, yeah, Paul. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to throw aspersions <laughs> in your direction, but I think it's common for, you know, particularly in the, the society that we live in in Great Britain anyway, for young people to find it completely normal to sort of binge drink at weekends and deal with the consequences later, maybe make some mistakes and say like, oh, I was drunk, it's kind of funny, yeah. it's all a, a, a laugh and a joke. In this film, it obviously becomes a lot more serious. I think the film deals with this issue with a fair amount of sort of even-handedness without slipping into too much melodrama. Uh, there's uh, an, a slightly awkward um, Nick Offerman side thread. Where okay. Nick Offerman, Nick Offerman is, is someone I always like. So. He's a he's a co-worker of uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character at her school, 
and has his own issues, comes into her life to try and help her with her drinking problem, and that all gets a bit awkward. Megan Mullally, his real-life wife, is also in, in the film. Uh, there are a lot of people that I like in this. Like I said, it deals with the issues fairly well. At the end of it, I feel like maybe it didn't quite have... Uh, it didn't quite know where to go. And it's very difficult, I think, for a film like this, or what was that one, Win It All, that we watched about the oh, guy yeah, who had the yeah. gambling addiction. It's very difficult to sort of stick the landing on a film like this without it just being um, sentimentalised, yeah. you know, towards the end, uh, to conclude these stories. Because the stories, these kinds of stories, they don't end here. They're lifelong stories, really. Um, so I would recommend this, just maybe not completely wholeheartedly. And... It, yeah, it, it makes you feel a bit que like watching people with sort of hangovers and sort of like reeling around the place makes you feel a bit queasy. So maybe check yourself, you know, check that you're in the right frame of mind before not you drunk. Right? Yeah, not, yeah, not ju enough. drunk, I would imagine. Yeah. Chaos, ladies and gentlemen. Absolute, Absolute chaos. chaos. So in the break, um, the doorbell rang. Uh, Jack Mills is here. Hi, Jack. Mills is here. I am here. Yes. Well, thanks for coming. Oh, that's um, quite all right. I'm glad you've glad you've appeared this evening. It's good to it's good to see you. Yes. Um, I, I believe I believe Jack's first words were "I'm dead," which bodes well for this section of so the he's show. He's not had the best day at work, but he is very keen uh, because he knows we finish the section. We normally talk about it. He is very keen to uh, talk about the Have You Seen film because I think Jack's still got one over on Pete because you haven't watched uh, that, Le Grand Delusion yet. That is that is correct information, Paul Anderson. Yeah, we've already put this off for a week, and I have still failed. So I am basically going to act as the uh, Michael Parkinson to this situation and interview you two fools about this film. We the, watched it together. Didn't that we, you yeah. saw we together, holding together. hands and then weeping openly. It's natural. Um, Absolutely. The Grand Illusion, yeah, set the scene. I mean, I can't even remember the year of release. I, I have not 1937. 1937's Grand Illusion. Directed by Jean Renoir. This, uh, in, so... in, in, sorry, Jack, to cut through you. I, I'm just going to say, uh, in case you missed it, or you don't know what the hell we're talking about, we take Which films... standard for most people who listen to this. But. We take films from David Thompson's uh, fantastic film book, Have You Seen? We pick them at random and then we try and watch them, except for me, because I'm lazy. Uh, set it up, you guys. Jack, set, set up... So Le, Le Grand Illusion, uh, obviously by the name it's a French film uh, released in 1937, which then they actually released it again uh, in, was it 1950? I think it was 54. 54, yeah. So um, yeah, it was pretty good. Well, What's I, the review done? Let's move on. What's the yeah. next section? <laughs> uh, what I liked about it was the fact that it was gritty. It followed um, some really sort of, it's, war, a, it's a prisoner war. of war drama. It's a prisoner of war. First World yeah. War, prisoner yeah. of war. Uh, yeah, two French soldiers captured, imprisoned in a German prisoner of war camp. I'll let you know that because, uh, as you know, I have not seen the film. Yes. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, two very different classes of uh, people that connected generally just because they were prisoners of war. You saw them go through a number of prisoner of war camps um, in Germany. Attempting to escape from all of them. Attempting to escape, <laughs> and I think they escaped from one, so they got sent to another. Uh, where well, they got caught, obviously, um, and then they got sent to this grand castle, wasn't it? Um, yeah, like the inescapable fortress yeah. of uh, of German prisoner of war camps. So. Absolutely. But to watch a film of this stead from the 30s was just something else. I thought it was a wonderful film. Um, the characters were 
brilliant. Well, I think it for me for me it's like it's it, what defines a classic is whether it feels its age. Um, and La Grand Illusion certainly doesn't feel like a film from 1937. I would say the the cast of characters here is fantastic. It's very very snappily written. Um, there's a lot of humour in this, um, and yeah, and the characters the characters do make it. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of sort of self aware jokes at at the expense of the upper classes, sort of the officer classes, and that kind of thing. And actually, it is um, it's I would say it. To some, it was taken as an offensive, quite an offensive film that the French would get on with the Germans after the war and, and, and this kind of thing. So I think it it struck the chord that it was meant to strike. And actually, there's there's one friendship in it between a French and German officer um, that just got, I think for me highlights the the sheer futility and, and like waste of life that World War One actually was when these people are actually getting on face to face. So I think it expresses that very well. I think the only thing the only thing that didn't really work for me was the end and I think you kind of were with me this one Jack it, it kind of rolls up to what feels like a natural conclusion uh, and then rolls on for about another 20 minutes that I think I'd have liked a more amb- more ambiguity at the end um, but then it's a film from 1937 so I think it's, it's hard almost to downgrade and down market for that because in 1937 films needed to have a conclusion I don't think and that I may be mistaken I'm sure someone can pick me up on this like the open-ended films weren't really that commonplace but overall, I thought it was I thought it was superb, and I'm, I'm glad I've seen it. Interesting enough, it looks as if it didn't get a, a full UK release until 1998, oh, at wow, least okay. in, in sort of physical form. So, yeah, uh, good. The, well, thank you, David Thompson. I suppose from from your guys' side of the microphone, right? Yeah, yes. he's he's done done well again. I mean, Letter from an Unknown Woman, we really liked. That was our first one. Yeah. This one, you guys have given the double thumbs up to, so that's great. And at the end of this episode, what we'll do is we'll pick another film for Have You Seen, and hopefully this time I'll pull my finger out and actually watch it, and that'd yes. be great. Right, well that brings us to the end of Popcorn Movies. Uh, we'll be back after this with our coming attractions. That would be good. Right, anyway, so back to Back to task now. Where were we? We were on coming attractions. We were indeed, Paul. We were indeed. We're excited about some films that are coming out. Um, Shall I go first? Yes. So what (laughs) I've got is uh, a film that was released early in the year in its native Japan. Uh, The name of this film is Anti-Porno, and it comes from the director Sion Sono, that people might know if they're into such things as a sort of crazy, taboo-busting, sort of incredibly artistic, um, often homoerotic filmmaker uh, who sort of throws a lot at the wall and, and some of Ron those... Ron Howard, a bit like Ron Howard then. Kind, kind of, <laughs> yeah, with different drugs, I don't know. Uh, I'm aware of him through films like uh, Love Exposure and The Suicide Club, I believe it's called. Uh, it's a really like visually arresting stuff. This one, apparently, um, the, the synopsis is Japan's oldest major movie studio asks a batch of venerable filmmakers to revive its highbrow softcore Roman porno series. So strap yourselves in. Uh, if this one gets a release, which I would imagine will be not non-cinematic <laughs> in the UK. It'll be not anywhere, yeah. Uh, yeah, you'll be able to find it, I would say, streaming within probably a couple of months, um, if not in the sort of dark, shadowy corners of the internet. Sion Sono is a filmmaker worth paying attention to, at least to form your own opinion. So I would recommend it from that vantage point, if nothing cool. else. Paul, what have you got? Well, thank you for that, Pete. Um, I've got Tomb Raider, um, directed by a man with the most incredible, one of the most incredible names of all time. I believe his name is Raw Uthog, 
which I think is an amazing name. And you know, if it's strike, not, strike, it, strikes, like it should strike fear into the heart of his mm. enemies, to be honest. Um, and yeah, so this is his uh, reboot of Tomb Raider, which they've tried to film before. I think Simon West directed the original. I may be wrong. I'm coming off the back of Con Air um, with Angelina Jolie in it, and I wasn't. Gr- a, a big fan of either of the two I think there's two two mini films previously I don't think they work particularly well because um, they were a bit crap really um, this one seems to have more in tone with the recent rebooted video games um, Alicia Vikander's playing Lara Croft this time round, and I would say certainly uh, looks the part um, and is, is a match for her um, computer generated character um, Pete I'm actually I, I see I've heard a lot of sort of negative negative stuff about this trailer I'm quite looking forward to it I, yeah. I know it's a video game movie, and they, I know they don't have a very good track record. But I, I just think it looks it looks the part. It looks like the game, which for me is a good start. Mm. Um, the games are quite silly and over the top, anyway, because the been but the reboots age. of the yeah. games that you mentioned have been so sort of commercially commercially and critically successful that it feels kind of like the right time for a film like this to to be released. I guess the only concern I had early on is that although Alicia Vikander, I think, is a very fine actress. I wonder whether she, well, she doesn't strike me as a person necessarily who has the sort of um, metal, the kind of uh, spunk, I don't know, to to pull this off. Whereas Angelina Jolie with all the sort of vials vials of blood around her neck and stuff like that, you know that she can sort of handle herself physically. Maybe Alicia Vikander is going to prove me wrong and is going to be perfectly suited to this role. I think, I I mean, I think it probably will be throwaway fun or ultimately just rubbish. Um, But I'm I'm kind of hopeful. Dominic West in this one as well. Yeah, Dominic West plays her. Dominic West plays her, um, Lara Croft's dad, I think, in this one. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of hopeful. I've enjoyed the recent video games. Um, I'm kind of hopeful because at least it's nailed the look. Um, whether it's any good aside from that, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, uh, the screenwriter, by the way, is also screenwriter for Captain Marvel, for what it's worth. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, some, some links there. And yeah, definitely watch this space because we'll have a big review when it comes out. So, looking forward to that one, Tomb Raider. That's next year, isn't it? I think uh, March, I think, is, yeah. the, uh, March, I think is, the, is the drop date for that at the moment. Um, right, so after this, we'll be back with our feature reviews this week of Justice League and Ingrid Goes West. And back we are with our first feature review of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, to say anticipation for this one is at an all-time low, I think, would be would be fairly reasonable, to a be sort honest. Of bizarre and incongruous low that you might connect with maybe Zack Snyder, although he's been so bankable that you would think it would draw crowds off sort of name recognition alone. But yet you're absolutely right. Like such a low voltage lead into Justice League is to be despite Volner Brothers trying to push it onto every bus show or they possibly can. Um, yeah, the the, <laughs> and, the marketing has been everywhere. And as as I think it was Claire pointed out on the last episode, also some of the sort of um, the one sheets and stuff looked so lifeless. It was like a series of pictures ah, of the superheroes yeah, stood next to each <laughs> yes. other in the dark um, so um, set it up Paul you're, you're a bit of an expert when it comes to the DCU and uh, MCU well, experts, experts strong but more so than you I think just, just um, run with it so basically Superman's dead um, spoiler if you haven't seen Batman vs Superman um, and crime is running rampant um, which doesn't really get set up until about a third of the way through crime's running rampant uh, Batman is struggling to keep things under wraps um, and then some weird kind of bug-like creatures have started attacking the planet. Um, Batman and Wonder Woman look to recruit a team because they are worried there's a bigger attack coming. There is a bigger attack coming, and it's from a big CGI beastie. Um, 
and then they basically have to recruit all these other superheroes, which you've seen in the trailer, which you've seen in the trailer, seen in the poster, so it's not a surprise uh, to enable them to fight this villain, uh, Steppenwolf. Mm. Um, here's a clip. How many of you are there? Not enough. Eight people abducted from or near Star Labs. Here's the potential perp. Parademons. Okay. The demons must have caught the scent of another box. They carried people away to find out what they know. So the eight may still be alive. Nine. Oh. The head of Star Labs was taken as well. You made it. So we've got returning here Ben Affleck from Batman versus Superman playing Batman. We've got Gal Gadot, obviously, who was so successful in her debut as Wonder Woman in her own film, although she was in Batman versus Superman as well in a little tiny, tiny role. Uh, Henry Cavill, the world's least interesting man, is still playing uh, Superman. <laughs> Amy Adams is his also very uninteresting love interest. I'm not going to show my bias at all here. Uh, then we've got uh, Ezra Miller debuting debuting as The Flash. He was bre- yeah, I would say that's fair. He, he Near was- enough. He, he flashed into shot in Batman vs. <laughs> flashed in and flashed yeah. out. Uh, we've got... Uh, it's a bit awkward that there's a character called The Flash in the current film climate, no? Uh, anyway, <laughs> Jason Momoa here as uh, Aquaman uh, on the scene, which always seemed like it was going to be a difficult marriage with the, the screen, but we'll get onto that in just a moment. Jeremy Irons is sort of sitting around tapping on the computer as Alfred. Um, anybody else? Uh, Connie Nielsen, obviously, and uh, J.K. Simmons, and Kieran Hines as Steppenwolf um, yeah. that you've just mentioned there being the big threat here. Paul, because this is DCU, we know that everything is just going to devolve into a load of energy stuff shooting out the sky towards the end and there'll be a big fight. Apart from that inevitability, which fully happens here, yeah. um, in t- I mean, I don't even know where to start with Justice League. Let's kick off with the characters. I mean, who are you interested in? Who grabbed your attention in this movie? Who works? Who doesn't? What did you like in terms of characters? I think... Because that's what this is, right? I think it's a big you need to separate. For me, you need to separate thing. the two. I think I was interested in certain characters, but I don't think any of them particularly worked uh, in the context of this of this just mess. To be honest, um, I thought it, the three people I'd, I'd most liked, I think, were Ezra Miller as the Flash. He was quite good fun. Uh, Jason Momoa's screen presence was enjoyable, and Gal Gadot again as Wonder Woman. I thought they they were they were having a good time. Ben Affleck this time round, I thought was one of the better things of Batman vs Superman. For me, seemed a bit bored this time out, um, and did, did, appeared to be phoning it in. Um, so yeah, but the, the problem is, is they've they've and this has been said many times before. They've just rushed to try and put all these characters into a film. There's no real establishment of any of them. The film just starts. Right, but then we've got probably an hour of trying to rectify that situation yeah. by jumping to, here's Aquaman, here's a little bit of backstory about Aquaman, yeah. here's how he integrates with the little world and now he's going to come on board. Oh, here's the Flash, here's how he integrates with the world and he's going to come on board and by the way, the Flash thing seems so influenced by Spider-Man Homecoming that it's ridiculous. Yeah. The way that we've now got like a comic relief kind of yeah. wisecracking character. Uh, yeah, Gal Gadot, okay, that was established with Wonder Woman so that's something going for this movie. But then don't you feel like really problematic here are three characters, I would say. Batman has never been less interesting to me. I'm so done with Batman now. I need a long, long break from Batman because I feel like, as you were saying, Ben Affleck, it feels kind of phoned in here. It feels tired. It feels completely free of any discernible charisma. Unless you put him beside Henry Cavill 
My word. <laughs> Has there been a less engaging superhero in, in, in cinema? Like, not in my memory. The guy, I'm sure, is, is a lovely, lovely human being. I'm sure he's, his friends and family get along with him just terrifically. <laughs> but every time he's on so. screen, so, it's just so. make this end. And when they have the scene in the field between him and Amy Adams, it's like, what are we doing this is, here? This is like one of the film's many problems, is the fact that you've got, as we've said before, as I've said twice before on the podcast, because Joss Whedon stepped in at the last minute for Zack Snyder. Joss Whedon apparently changed 15 to 20% of the film. I'll credit that credit that to an IGN article that I read. And are they maybe the good parts? Well, no, this is, is they might be the good parts, but they also might be the parts that don't fit with the tone of the film. Right. Like it's, it's the common problem that I had. To an extent, I had the same is- some of the same issues with Wonder Woman. Um, definitely with Suicide Squad. It's just like they filmed the jokes afterwards and then tried to force them into a film that w- was meant to have a really dark tone. The thing is with the Marvel films is they they kind of set a tone and stay there rather than it jumps all over the shops. You've got the flat Ezra Miller is actually quite funny, has got some good one-liners, as is Jason Momoa, and then it's just but they feel like they've they feel like they've been lifted from another film and put into this mm. to lighten the tone of what is like just a, a CGI because, mess. Because DC, the DCU has realised that, oh, look at what Marvel oh, are totally, doing. Yeah. Look how yeah. light-hearted now sells. So let's try and do that. But we're not going to do it all the, the way the, because the, we've already got this the problem is, serious the, stuff the, the, the problem is, isn't that Batman vs Superman was dark, and I have definitely said this before. It was it's dull. That, it, was, it was crap. It's not the tone that's the problem. It's just it wasn't very good. So, right. but, but DC have decided, oh, no, they need to be funnier. No, they just need to be better. And before we completely lose um, the, the section that we started on, which was characters, is this there's Ray Fisher, I believe, Iron Man, essentially? Yeah, so well, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like that's that's not that's not indicative of the filmmakers. Just Marvel and DC have spent years ripping off each other's sure, characters. Sure, so. sure. But I mean, what? Like, okay, if there's similarities between that character and Iron Man, as you say, like that can't be avoided if that's the source material. However. That character, there's nothing there. No. There's nothing to latch onto. And half of his body CGI and sort of not very convincing CGI. The problem this film has, as we're saying in connection to Batman vs. Superman, is like there's so little heart here. And the bit that there is, Paul, the bit that there is, as I think I said when we were previewing this, is, in my opinion, well, Jason Momoa nominally and Gal Gadot because there's a moment in this when we were talking earlier about Batman Begins and the bit where Christian Bale as Batman uh, replies to the question who are you? I'm Batman in this film Gal Gadot has the question who are you? Mm. and she says I'm a believer that one line has more heart than the rest of this like turgid two hours and the villain as well Jesus the villain what were they thinking no Jesus isn't the villain Steppenwolf's the villain (laughs) (laughs) that would be a turn up for the books yeah and it's just there's just big CGI mess that just has no character at all Kieran Hines is obviously on holiday somewhere recording his lines just from the bar uh, really do this and it's just a big like lifeless CGI mess and again I'm gonna I'm gonna quote Total Film on this one uh, they labelled him as Miss Steppenwolf which I think was brilliant right because it's just again like if and also they've if they wanted to steal something from Marvel don't steal Marvel's bad villains like sure. you know don't don't steal because he is a terrible villain in this there's no there's no nothing good about there's him there's nothing and the minions that join Steppenwolf oh. are just so boring yeah. like we had in uh, in um, Suicide Squad the, yeah the, uh, the putties enemies there that that couldn't bleed because we got a 12A certificate or whatever man it's dull I just I thought maybe lessons have been learnt because Wonder Woman as much as I don't like it as much as you 
I still enjoy it. Uh, I thought lessons might have been learned. But I was you, wrong. Paul, didn't you <laughs> feel as I did when Gal Gadot's on screen? And yeah, I don't want to overlook the fact that I think the Jason Momoa uh, Aquaman character can be interesting. Yes, can be in could the future. Be. There's in, potential, yeah. In his own movie, which I believe is coming. Yes, right? directed by James Wan. In fact. But when Gal Gadot got on screen, I just thought, can't we just have Wonder Woman too? I don't want to. I don't want to go back to Batman. I definitely don't want to go back to Henry Cavill moping about. And also, yeah, that's the thing as well. The the, the joke, the field scene. We digress. The field scene you're talking about. It's like Joss Whedon's obviously gone. I'll write Henry Cavill some jokes. Not a good idea. No, absolutely <laughs> not. The guy can barely animate his own face. <laughs> and and then. On the jokes thing, on the humour thing, what about this kind of have your cake and eat it sort of attempt at self-deprecating humour when Batman is asked, what's your superpower? And he says, I'm rich. I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't then go like, oh, this is all a, 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 a step of remove and ironic. And we're sort of knowing about these characters when you've sort of bought so much into the very dullest facets of each of Superman and Batman. I hope both of those characters are left off the screen for four or five years because it's gone it's gone way beyond the point of interest for me and I'm sure there's still a fan base out there who want to see the next iteration of a Superman solo movie and the next director to take on Batman but I think we need a break I think we need to focus on other characters in the DCU maybe Aquaman maybe uh, Wonder Woman of course maybe the Flash yeah, and maybe, those yeah. that have some some charisma yeah the, the Flash probably coming in third of the ones that are, are present here but certainly not second rate Iron Man certainly Ben Affleck should never play Batman again and Henry Cavill probably shouldn't play anyone again ouch on that note uh, we'll be back after this with a review of Ingrid Goes West So taking a complete. Have you had a deep breath now? Yeah, yeah, Good. absolutely. Taking a, <laughs> taking a swerve, taking a left turn away from Henry, uh, Henry, Henry Cavill's sort of <laughs> unemoting exterior uh, towards something entirely different. Our second feature review for this week is the film Ingrid Goes West from director Matt Spicer. He's made, I believe, one feature before. It's not me, it's you, and I haven't seen it. Uh, it young also. filmmaker, I believe he's still in his early to mid-30s, um, but has managed to get together the money and support and sort of fairly glittery cast to make a film that deals with the modern world's obsession with social media and the interactions that that gives rise to. Front and centre here are two actresses that I think we're big fans of. Uh, this this podcast to say, yeah. Can, yeah. can all come down on the positive side of, of both Aubrey Plaza and Elizabeth Olsen most of the time. No, a minority of the time when she's actually taking good roles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Aubrey Plaza, of course, we know from Parks and Recreation. I think a lot of people do. And then various uh, big screen roles that she's taken on since. Um, in this film, Aubrey Plaza plays a sort of uh, fairly um, deluded, down on her luck and depressed young lady who fixates on people online and at the beginning of the film, not unlike that Black Mirror episode Nosedive, um, crashes a wedding where she makes a great scene of herself because she has misunderstood her relationship with a friend through mediated through social media, let's say. In her deepest throes of sort of depression and self-doubt, she latches onto a new Insta celebrity played by Elizabeth Olsen, who seems to have the perfect life and live all of the um, with all of the trappings of a life that Aubrey Plaza's character can only sort of dream of having, and she wants for herself. Here's a clip. It's a long story, but I just need you to no, 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 say no, that I get everyone. It. I see that you dig me. I dig you. I'll be your boyfriend. Uh, okay. I'll be your boyfriend. Okay, whatever. Um, and also, 
No Batman talk. What am I supposed to talk about? I don't know these people. Something cool, like food or clothes or Joan Didion. Okay. Talk about comic books or anything, because these people don't care about stuff like that. Anything else you might just Yes. Whatever you do, just stay away from Nikki. Who's Nikki? So for me, the first thing that comes to mind with this is that, and I'm going to get this out of the way early doors, Aubrey Plaza in this is brilliant. I I think she's absolutely great in this this kind of role. I've seen her, I've liked, I've been, as we've said before, I've been a fan of hers for a while. I think she nails this role, Pete, personally. I think she's, she's the standout, she's the standout in the film for me. And I don't think the film would have worked without her presence necessarily. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this role is, is if not written for her, then just I absolutely suited to that actress and, and very few others because of the way that she is um, sort of at, at once both completely dismissive and sort of buys into uh, celebrity culture, at least her persona, yeah. right? I don't know her as a person. The interviews I've seen seem to match up with that uh, fairly neatly. But um, yeah, she has more or has to show more range i think in this film than maybe we've seen in in i don't know mike and dave need wedding dates yeah. or or safety not guaranteed or the kind of um what's the one where she's a she's dying and she's like a zombie or something like that oh life after birth life after birth yeah we've seen bits and pieces of the sort of sullen aubrey plaza that we know and love from parks and rec but i think we get to see a bit more than that here and going into some even sort of darker territory certainly yeah. towards the tail end of this film and on the other end of this two-hander is elizabeth olsen who is fairly ideally suited as well to play a young woman who looks like she's got it all given that she is from the same family as the olsen sisters who made a name for themselves you know soon after leaving primary school yeah. and uh, and obviously has been thrust into the hollywood limelight after being in uh, martha marcy may Marlene, where she, she was so fantastic as i never ever say no i've never meant, heard you mention that film before the, 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 i don't want to <laughs> sort of seem like i'm coming off negative right at this early juncture paul but i think but we disagreed on this film I yeah think, I, I think i am with you on your opening remarks vis-a-vis -vis aubrey plaza good i thought I, we might agree there but. i would say that the reason for me that this film didn't entirely work maybe didn't fall flat but didn't entirely work is i'm not sure that the filmmaker um the screenwriter and the director have enough punch when it comes to tackling an issue that is so um immediate i feel like I, I used this phrase earlier on. I don't want to overuse the same phrases. I'm, I'm guilty of that oftentimes. But I feel the film somewhat the 66 wants to... 66 episodes. I think we're allowed it, to overuse the it, same phrases. It kind of <laughs> wants to have its, um, its Instagram cake and indeed eat it. Because the film seems to be skewering a culture based on sort of wafer-thin, uh, venal, sort of vacuous living and adoration of, of the exterior... But by the end of the film and the film's coda that I don't want to ruin, it feels like we've just kind of gone like, oh, that's all all right. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Let's just move on. Like, I don't know that it necessarily pushes that discussion anywhere particularly interesting once we get into the relationship between these two characters. Am I wrong? I mean, it, it's kind of road trip. Uh... No, I don't I don't think you're wrong. For, I, I do, I'll take your point on that. I don't think you're wrong. May, maybe it could have gone a little bit. I mean, we... maybe it could have had a bit more teeth to it, but I, for me, it didn't harm my enjoyment of it. I just, I thought it was, I thought it was a snappily um, well-written and very enjoyable comedy um maybe there's i think maybe there's another film in there in the direction they could have took it they took it darker and it had a bit more teeth I'll, I'll give you that much um but i still really enjoyed it in in spite of that i still think it was i personally i think it was well enough written and i think 
I think it, unfortunately it won't go wide enough to make people change their minds about how stupid and vacuous this Instagram culture is. But I don't think is, it has the ability to do that anyway. Do you not? No, I don't. Okay. I, I think I think it's it's well made, like visually. I I don't think the filmmakers are interested in in blowing up the myth of of sort of Instagram celebrity whatsoever. In fact, I think the filmmakers of this are quite happy to get famous through social media okay that's, that's just the impression yeah. i got and that's yeah. where i kind of departed from it and i think if you don't have that response then you're probably going to enjoy it that much more i didn't you see i, I actually thought they were they were um, skewering it not quite as they couldn't they could have gone after it in a more aggressive way i would say Did, especially towards the end because it yeah ends it ends quite light but i think it i don't know i think it would have been a little bit tonally off if, if it had gone as dark as i was expecting it to i wanted it to go dark paul yeah no i know where you're coming from i, I do i do i think and i think um, we mentioned this in relation to another film and you might be able to remember better than me but i think this is another thing that suffers um in the shadow of the quality of black mirror because i feel like if this were a black mirror story it would have gone darker and i found something like that nosedive episode mm. of black mirror to be that much more interesting about a very similar topic albeit not quite instagram as yeah. such right um did you have the same thing as me though in this film where you went that that one guy who's playing a landlord slash possible lover looks yeah. a lot like ice cube he did yeah it's ice cube's <laughs> yeah. kid yeah. ice cube's son he's actually yeah. ice cube's son okay fair it, enough yeah. it, it's <laughs> the guy uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr the guy who pl- actually played Ice Cube in Straight Outta Compton and I was like yeah that, that oh that's exactly why okay, I know okay that would make sense and, yeah. and then we also had uh, Pom Clementieff yes I'm not from Guardians it. of the Galaxy from too, Guardians yes. yeah which yeah. was great to see although she gets like next to nothing to no. do and I mean that's not her fault I suppose yeah I, I mean I'm not so negative, Paul. I like Aubrey Plaza a lot. I do agree with you that I think the performance is really good. I think Elizabeth Olsen is fine here. I don't think Elizabeth Olsen has much to do. I wouldn't say the role stretches her, to be honest. No. I would say there's a number of young actresses that could play that role fairly well. There's a, there's a, there's a multi-word film uh, that you could go watch if you want to see Prime Elizabeth Olsen, Paul. It might start with uh, Martha and end with Martha. You've not Mayland. mentioned it before. So Marlene. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've got to come down on the side of feeling that, like this just doesn't have teeth and it really doesn't have the courage of its own convictions and that's for me why I'd come out of it more middling than I think you I really enjoyed it thought it was I said I'm repeating myself here snappily written um, a lot of fun and with a great performance from Orby Plaza so I would recommend it and available now on, on disc I believe uh, no available soon on it's disc out in some, it's out in some cinemas somewhere limited release at the moment yes, but it'll yeah. be on disc shortly and I'm sure yeah. sure sure that this will be coming to the front page of your Netflix very very soon and it will be trending on Netflix yes. and trending on yes. social media and hashtag, I rest my case hashtagging we goes west um, right before we go then uh, this week we need to do have you seen um, we're going to be a little bit stricter on this one and actually do it this week are we not Pete <laughs> yes we are yes we are I can't go slagging off films and then not doing otherwise I'm going to find a book that is 110 ninja films or something <laughs> and we have to 100, 110 better. ninja sequels and we have to watch through those 110 so. little scene <laughs> 80s horror yes. sci-fi mashups yeah. 80s horror ninja sci-fi mashups Fantastic. there we go yeah. right uh, Jack do you want to pick I don't know who picked the page last time I can't remember I did but yeah I'll pick it again okay go for it so we're between one and I think about a thousand 243. 
243 the man well, says the anticipation Paul, is building uh, talk amongst yourself whilst I'm finding this what page what could it be this week if uh, if we've seen it this week are we going to watch it because last last time we did this 7 because we had up. 7 didn't we yeah um, we I think whatever it. it is we okay. should watch it whatever it is I think whatever it is happy, we should watch it and talk about it really excited no about now. you making that decision sir because Go what on. we have got is the 1964 film Doctor Strangelove oh, oh it delightful. means the homework or the have you seen section for all three of us guys is Doctor Strangelove and we will talk about that on next week's show. Yes, and we will also have feature reviews of Mudbound, the latest next Netflix. Uh, Net- what Netflix release that's what I'm looking for I've gone all the way through without struggling with my throat and managed to get to the end so I'm quite proud of that the latest Netflix release Mudbound and Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool will be our feature reviews next week in the meantime catch us on Twitter at Strangers Cinema or Instagram at Strangers in a Cinema uh, I've been Paul and goodbye see ya shut up and sit down